Hello, and welcome to Title Nerds, presented by the law firm of Riker Danzig. Each episode features one or more of Riker Danzig's thought leaders in the title insurance law space, discussing current legal trends and issues of significance. Before we begin, we wish to note that nothing shared on today's podcast should be considered legal advice in any particular matter. Now, I'm pleased to introduce Michael O'Donnell, Riker Danzig's co-managing partner and partner Bethany Abley to kick off our podcast. Good morning to everyone. My name is Michael O'Donnell. I'm a partner in Riker Danzig, and I am a co-host of Title Nerds with my partner, Bethany Abley. And today is going to be our eighth podcast, and we're very happy and excited today because we have two individuals from Qualia, which is a real estate digital closing platform that services settlement agents, vendors, title insurers, consumers, and realtors. I managed to make sure I read the website. We have with us Lyman Hopper. Lyman is a long-term individual in the title industry. I've seen Lyman in Jersey, New York land title conventions for about as long as I can remember. That probably goes back 20 years of my going to them. And we also have Tim Calandro, who described himself as your perfect example of a millennial just entering into the real estate industry, who's only been in there three years, but equally capable and adept as anyone we've had on. And they're going to tell us what Qualia does and give us a little bit of insight. And then after that, Bethany will also ask some questions as well, but she's also going to talk to Desiree McDonald, who will do our case of the podcast, which I know all our listeners anxiously wait for with pain and breath. So with that, Lyman and Tim, why don't we start with you, Lyman? Give us a little bit about your background in the title industry. And Tim, if you could give a little bit of your background, and then we'll ask you a little bit about volume. Thank you, Michael. Great to see everyone. And thank you again for the time to be on your podcast and Tim joining us as well. So to keep this within your time frame, I'll go real quickly, because as you said, I've been in this space about since around 1996, 1997. I was working for a document imaging company selling scanners and software, and title companies seemed to be my hot prospect at the time. So I just didn't want to be the sales guy putting paper into a scanner and stored it on CD. I wanted to know why they needed to store and why they needed to keep these documents. So I went out, got my title producer's license to learn more about the business. And here I am 20 some years later, just as passionate about it now as I became back then. My resume shows working for those longtime listeners of your podcast, if they remember a company called Current Status, which did tax searches. I worked for Charles Jones, very well known in the industry, both in real estate and legal for their upper court searches. Worked for them for 10 years. I worked for another vendor called Prop Logics. I worked for three different title companies uh, in sales. And I landed with Qualia three months ago. Qualia came out seven years ago. I saw something in them back then. And I waited, you know, seven years. We finally came together and I get to represent Qualia now and their platform. So that's the real short and skinny on my uh, tenure in title. Tim? Yeah. So I am a sales professional here. I've been doing sales for about 10 years. Unlike Lyman, my background was in healthcare and data management before coming to Qualia. But essentially, all my friends started slowly getting into real estate tech, and I saw the trends that were happening. And one day, I connected with a guy, Scott Lease, who I was connected with on LinkedIn. We started having a conversation. He was looking for people to 
come aboard. And the more I researched on Qualia, the more I liked it. And then within about a one month span, I was now in real estate, which I didn't have much of a background in. But since then, it's just been a roller coaster of a training course, learning the ins and outs in the exciting world of title and all of its nuances. And guys, I saw on your website, your website leads with powering real estate's digital transformation. Can you just tell us how does Qualia do that? And what the heck do you do? Tell us. <laughs> so there's other platforms out there that are good. And Qualia saw something seven years ago, kind of like, you know, looked at all these other platforms, like how can we make this experience better, more efficient, and almost like a wow experience per se, but not just for the title agent, but for the real estate attorney, for the lender, for the buyer, for the seller, for all the parties involved, how can we make this experience even better? Because in my days of visiting title agents, so much frustration on a daily basis, hanging up the phone, like, why won't this lender get back to me? Why won't this realtor get back to me? So how can we improve upon that communication process? And then how can we make the title company more efficient and more productive without having to add staff? So Qualia, like back in 2015, they started with this vision and just started growing it out and then listening to the title agent saying, hey, can you get the software to also do this? Can you get the program to do this? And we listen and we keep on building it. And as Tim can attest to, we log on a daily, weekly basis, and we keep on hearing about more and more enhancements, more and more updates to Qualia, where even though it's seven years old, I think we're, we're far from finished of where this end product is going to be in this whole transaction. Tim, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, on top of these different problems and how we think about changing the way people want to buy and sell, right? You have to look at the fundamental problems that you're solving for people. So you look at every great company and we have a philosophy of the network effects. And so we really want title to be the center of that network and be able to build a platform that because we're here at the center, we can better enable our customers and consumers to engage with one another. And so in a very like meaningful way, we have tools that are helping to modernize the home buying process through portals and mobile apps. And then what this is doing is just it's solving for everyday obstacles and problems people are seeing with communication and engagement, but also simplifying it to make it easier to the consumer. So, you know, on the back end, what this is doing for our clients is it's really helping to eliminate a lot of obstacles with having to deal with all the different parties that are involved in a home transaction, buyers, sellers, attorneys, lenders, underwriters. And the list just keeps on going on, right? And then on the front end, for our clients, we provide this secure way to communicate back and forth. When you think about millennials getting in here, we're now the number one purchaser of homes, right? We're used to a different status quo than in the past. So we don't pick up the phone and call, we text message. And by having these portals and these mobile apps, we're also meeting the consumer where their demands are so that we can, you know, pretty much provide better tools to get them engaged in the process and have help them to understand what's happening at all times. Great. Now, as I always say, I'm kind of a simple guy. <laughs> Tell me how these mobile apps actually work. 
I've heard it's great, the consumer, everything else. How does it work? So what I did recently, because, you know, I'm towards the end of the baby boomers, okay? You know, a lot of the agents I'm talking to are like, Lyman, I wasn't born yet. I'm like, okay, great. So as I'm listening to Tim speak, and I know your listeners can't see this, but like I'm holding my cell phone in my hand with the Qualia app on the phone. So if you had told me when I got back in the space back in the late 1990s that you could eventually end up doing a real estate transaction from a mobile phone. In fact, I don't even think I had a mobile phone back then. I think I had a pager where if you got a number, you had to find a pay phone and then be a phone call. So something I, I wish all these millennials would have to experience like for a day. But so not only in making this easier for the agent with improving everything within the office, but like, how do we then, like I said, touch those millennials, which are the driving force right now in real estate? Because like for them to like go, what do you mean? Go into an office and sit down and, and sign papers for hours. That doesn't make any sense when they're so used to being able to do banking on their phone and everything else on their phone. So quality is like, well, let's, you know, transform this whole process to be able to do it as much as we can, you know, either sitting in front of a computer or on a phone. So, Tim, you want to add to what, you know, with you being the millennial are seeing on that? Yeah, definitely. Again, when you're when you think about these mobile apps, right, consumers today were more about convenience and ease of use. Real estate has always been a very relationship driven industry. But now what we're seeing is people are more prone to going online to apply for a loan. They're more used to not calling yellow cabs and things like this. We get on Uber. We don't call a place and ask if they have delivery. We go on DoorDash. And so we're just used to using these different modes of communication now, which really is interesting too, because in the past, if you think about the way the title agency or the attorney would engage with the consumer, you talk to all of these people and it was always about the personal touch. It was always about what can we provide to the consumer to provide that better customer experience. And you know, these days, it's not necessarily having somebody pick up the phone and give you a call. It's just about the ease and convenience for it. So when we have these mobile apps and when we have these tools at our disposal, it makes our life a lot easier, more convenient. And it's just in a way that we're used to communicating now. So if you think about a text message, more kids today are better about texting one another than they are getting on a random call with, with an individual they haven't met. And so social media is like a great example of that. But when we really think about like what we want is on a day-to-day -day basis, I might get five or six calls from friends, from other colleagues in my work. I mean, looking at my phone right now and I have six notifications right here. I'm not going to respond to any of those direct communications, but I can text back. And so during my busy day, as I'm going on the move, doing things like a podcast, I can still stay in the loop of what's going on. And I think that's really where we create these tangible customer differentiators that our clients can provide to their clients and to their partners is just giving them that easy access to where no matter where they're at, no matter what they're doing, they can always respond. They can get the information they need and they can get it back to you, which ultimately makes a faster and smoother transaction for everyone. What does a consumer or lender or vendor have to put into your app, your mobile app, to start the process? And then what does your app do? 
I recently had one of the, the gentlemen in the office who is one of our modules is called Connect. And that's exactly what it does. It connects all the parties within a secure portal. So I actually had him. I said, you know what? Do a demo for me on this Connect, you know, in preparation for speaking today. And so he went in, he showed me how the information that's, you know, every part of every title order, name, buyer or seller, attorney, realtor, lender. So that's all put in. And one thing that it's doing is, and Tim can expand more on this, is basically putting in just a name and a property and an email address and then hitting send. Like a template gets set up, a task gets set up where once I put in this information, hit send, Michael, you, the buyer, are now going to get an email that says, hey, thank you for choosing XYZ Title Company. You're invited to join this portal now, and there's some tasks for you to complete. So you're going to click, you're going to create a username and password that allows you access to this portal. And then you're going to see a list of tasks to help complete, where when I did this with Connor in our office the other day, it had me answer, am I married or not? It had me put in my social. It had me put in my date of birth. So it took that task off of that manual task off of the plate of the order entry person in the title company and put it on you, the buyer, or me, the buyer. And what that also does is it minimizes typos, uh, any type of errors, because you're the one who's putting in the information. So a mistake shouldn't be made unless you're forgetting your social or something. And then also the way the fields can be set up is if you only put in eight numbers for your social instead of nine, it's going to flag it and say, there's something wrong here. That's just one piece of it. The invite can also be sent to the lender to put in their information regarding the loan. Information can be put in if it's an attorney state or not, or is their attorney going to be, you know, handle the, the settlement, things like that. That's just like in one part of it where we're kind of like bringing these parties together and taking a lot of the menial tasks, those manual tasks out of, off of the title agent, the order entry person, and putting it onto the parties that are involved. Tim, you want to add more? Yeah, absolutely. So I think about our API connections and our portal and our mobile apps kind of twofold. There's your front end and then there's your back end. And when I think of the back end, I think of, okay, how are we helping our direct partners? So realtors, brokers, underwriters, lenders. So what we're doing is we're connecting all of our systems together. So for example, a realtor of Keller Williams or somebody who works with realtor.com they can go online, they're working on the front end with their client and they're getting to a contract phase. Now they need to get a quote. Now they need to get a seller net sheet. They need to get this preliminary information. Now from their phone and at their fingertips, they can collect all this information from us. When it comes to things like underwriters and our clients, we can keep their endorsements and their rates up to date in real time. So if one party makes a change, the other is notified about it and vice versa. And then when it comes to the front end of it, it's very easy. What anybody needs to get into our system is they need a valid email and to be able to create a secure password. How do you offer some safety or security, Tim or Lyman, that wire information or social security numbers aren't going to be breached or hacked or that one consumer can't look at another consumer's 
transaction or a title agent or under an agent? How does that work? Well, Tim, you can correct me if I'm wrong. From what I understand, what I've seen is that all parties can see what's happening within the transaction. We kind of have like a pizza tracker. Like, where are we in the steps of the process? How close are we to the actual closing date? But the actual information that's within that portal has permissions. So even though, say, I'm the lender, doesn't mean I can go in and see any information about the the, the seller or stuff like that. So any of that, you know, uh, personally identifiable information that's to be kept, you know, sacred, so to speak. Um, just because you have access to that portal doesn't mean you can go in and see that all the documents that are being shared in that portal. Do I have that right, Tim? Yeah, definitely. So on the back end, we've definitely created different protocols. Quali also has a compliance team that's working with us. And since we're a nas- nationwide software company, we have regionalized compliance teams that are going state by state because the way you do things in New York and New Jersey are completely different from the way things operate in Texas, Florida, California, right? So one, we just kind of have a good understanding of state by state, what the law is, where the compliance line is. We understand who should be communicating with whom and who they should not be. So when you're accessing these portals through these backend protocols, we can say, hey, Lyman as the seller really should not be reaching out to my attorney as the buyer. I know Lyman from talking to you yesterday, he indicated that there are certain vendors that once an attorney, for instance, puts a order in that he can choose from, from perhaps to order the title or to do the survey. Can you tell us how that works in your system? How does this selection process work so that if, if I need to find a title company, somehow I can go on your website if I'm an authorized customer with my password and see what my choices are. Right. Try to envision like you have the left side, you're the order entry person and you're working on a file and the left side of your screen is kind of like all the steps that have been created that are part of a title file. And as you scroll down, there's one thing that says marketplace. So I think we've referred to it as kind of like an Amazon type thing where, okay, what do I need now to complete for this file? All right. So I'm very familiar with New Jersey. So I need an upper court search. So I click on on title services, and then a whole library will pop up of all different services that are there. So you go in and you look for your upper court search, and you click select, and it's going to give you all the vendors that are part of the Qualia marketplace that offer an upper court search. So then you select the one that you want to use, and you add that. Then you can go in and you do the same thing for a tax and assessment search. You do the same thing for a flood and a tideland search. If you need to get a UCC or a corporate status, those services are in there as well. So whatever services you need to complete this file, you can go in and find a vendor for. And then Tim and I've had this happen a couple of times, especially with county searchers, is they have their own personal ones that they'd like to use and have used for years, and maybe they're not in the system. They can contact the marketplace and be added to the marketplace for then that title agent to go and then select that searcher to do searches for them. Yeah, well, I mean, you're spot on. It's an Amazon shopping center. It's quick, it's easy. We know what we need to look for. I think what's interesting about what we can also provide is we're catering to both very old and ingrained 
title shops, as well as brand new startups that are just now getting into it. So when you think about people that have been doing title for 25, 30 years, just because they start using a new software or just because they start using Quali instead of another vendor, that doesn't mean they're willing to give up their relationships. So we've really set it up so that we can invite their clients that they're already working with, bring them in and provide a portal that makes both of their lives easier that they can communicate with. But when we think about getting new title shops in here too, what's nice about this Amazon shopping experience is just like any other online shopping center, I can go in, I can look at reviews of the vendors. I can know that because it's through this marketplace, that this is a credible business that I could be working for. And so we can really help to form valuable relationships with people that are just now getting into the industry and connect them with really veteran companies that have been around. And then when you think about it from a consumer standpoint, even though it's our clients coming in here, we can provide more transparency about when people can have turnaround times, when they can actually get this service accomplished. We can also show transparent pricing of what everyone is. So now we're also creating a better, more transparent, free market for everyone and keeping it competitive so that people can keep their overhead reduced and ultimately save their clients money as well. I just wanted to follow up on, I know a moment ago you were saying, for instance, if you have your own searcher that you use and they're not already on there, you can call up and say, hey, include this searcher now. Would that searcher then be added to the marketplace for everyone for future transactions? Or is that just for you for your transaction? Tim and I actually, I, I love sharing stories. And Tim and I actually just recently had a presentation with someone that asked that question. And the answer <laughs> is yes. So it could end up being, you know, a business booster for that individual who maybe exactly. someone might. That's say, exactly you know what? what I was thinking. Is there a fee to be listed as a vendor in the marketplace? There's not a fee to be listed, no. So any vendor could simply come to you, Lyman or Tim, and say, I'd like to be listed as a title agent or a surveyor on your marketplace for people to see. Correct. Great. They can go onto our website, into our marketplace, and there's a little form to fill out that says become a vendor on Qualia. And then for our clients, when they get into the little marketplace Amazon shopping center at the top right corner, there's just an easy button. You click that and it says invite a vendor. And from there, you can put in the individual's contact information, their email. You can send out that form and then it goes directly to that individual. And then they get some information about our marketplace, who invited them. And then that gives them the ability to quickly say, do I want to speak with this company or not? And so it's really interesting the way it's panning out because we're seeing a lot more small local shops coming to us because they do want to expand their reach. And we also see it from our clients that are, you know, starting to expand and scale their business. So traditionally you start title and you start in the state that you're in. And then especially states like New Jersey, New York, right? It makes the next logical step to go into places like Connecticut or to go into Pennsylvania, but you might not have relations already formed there. And the people you already work with might not provide those services. So now, even though you know what you need and you start expanding your business, we're also giving you a tangible way to be able to easily scale because now you can come in and you can know that we already have pre-vetted vendors that are going to be able to take care of your needs in Pennsylvania, Florida, Texas, wherever you're expanding. I think you had said before that you are nationwide, or are you only in certain markets? 
figured I'd ask for our listeners to make sure we confirm that <laughs> for everybody. No, we, we, we are nationwide. Great. Do you do any vetting or quality assurance on these vendors? No, no matter who they are, the title agents, the underwriter, the appraisal service surveyor? Correct. When we have people coming through, there is a vetting process. It's a pretty straightforward process. One, we're just looking at their business information. We do require them to send us certain credentials so that we can verify they are who they say they are. And then we're also kind of looking for information of their background. Like, are they a new title company? Are they an existing company that's been doing abstract search work for people for a long time? And now, who are the principal users of the marketplace line? Well, the user of the marketplace is going to be the title agent. They're the ones that are going to go in and say, well, like, there's not, there's not really even a list of underwriters per se. What it is, is they are going to already have like, what will happen is an order comes in. And one of the first drop downs you see is what is this a purchase? Is it a refi? Is it a HELOC? All right, you pick that. And then the software is so intelligent, we can actually create a template by state of, all right, what are all the fields now that have to be taken care of? We, so we create that template. So that's especially where it helps the new agents into what do I need to get for New Jersey? So that will also then they'll select, all right, who's my underwriter going to be? Now, in the marketplace, there is a selection of all the underwriters. There's also a selection of FedEx or UPS. So, but again, it's not a consumer facing portal per se, it's a title agent facing portal to allow them to get all these pieces together that they need to go to closing and have everything satisfied there. So it's your underwriter, your surveyor, appraisal, all your public record searches, your shipping. And then I think there's even like the e-recording companies are in there as well, like a Simplifile is in there. So all those components kind of like, as you know, Tim said earlier, the Amazon thing, what are all these things that I need to get accomplished, and they're all in this one portal called the marketplace. Great, and I think that's all I have, but Bethany, do you have any questions you'd like to pose to our experts here? No, I think you guys covered everything. I will say though, Tim, when you were saying before about texting versus calls, I can't tell you how many times my mother says to me, why do you just text message with everyone? Don't you wanna pick up the phone and hear your friend's voice? And I say, no, and nor does my friend <laughs> want me to pick up the phone and hear my voice. I said, yeah, we text message. That's what we do. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> because I'm on a podcast, mom, I can't talk to you right now. <laughs> Smiley face emoji. And, and the fact that Lyman mentioned pay phones before, I, I don't know how many, uh, how many people these days even recall pay phones. But anyway, but yeah, no, it was great having you guys on. Thank you. This is very informative. No, thank you so much for the opportunity. You know, Tim and I are very passionate about the space. And for those of you that are listening that are Qualia clients, thank you very much for being a Qualia client. And if someone hasn't recently like taken a look at Qualia, maybe you have in the past, but not recently, I welcome the opportunity to you know sit down with Tim and I and take another look at it. We've made a lot of enhancements, a lot of changes and continue to do so. All right. Thank you, Lyman. Thank you, Tim. It was great having you guys. And with that, I am going to turn the podcast over to Bethany, and she will be going over our case of the podcast with one of our 
very best members of our title team here, Desiree McDonald. So Bethany, take it away. Again, thank you, Tim. Thank you, Lyman. It was great having you guys. Thank you. And Desiree, yeah. great having you. <laughs> so we've got a case today, our case of the podcast, as Mike called it. And I will say, I love the name of this case. I absolutely love it. And I think the case name also kind of goes into our conversation before about millennials versus baby boomers versus who would know what a payphone is and who wouldn't. Case name is A Flock of Sea Girls, LLC versus Walton County, Florida. And so I think the group that knows about payphones knows Flock of Seagulls, <laughs> Flock of Sea Girls. So tell us a little bit about the case first, if you could give us the case site and where it's from, Desiree. Yes. So this is a case out of the 11th Circuit concerning an easement on two beachfront lots down in Walton County, Florida, which is somewhere I think we'd all rather be as I look at the snow outside my window. <laughs> it's definitely a cold, icy day here in New Jersey. So yeah. I, I would the, like to be on the beach in Florida. <laughs> the case site is 7F41072. And I believe it's an 11th Circuit case, but it originated in the Northern District of Florida, if I've got that right. Yes, that is correct. And I think we've seen this case, at least Riker Danzig, we've seen this case before, right? Where, where have we seen it before? Oh, we have. We've actually posted about this decision on our blog, which can be found on our firm website. And we will never pass up an opportunity to advertise our blog. So never. <laughs> little shout out to our blog. <laughs> I guess, tell us the facts of the case, Desiree. Tell us a little about, about these flock of seagirls. So back in the 90s, the state of Florida had initiated imminent domain proceedings to take certain properties in Walton County. The lawsuit had resulted in a consent judgment in which the state had agreed to exclude certain parcels in exchange for an easement on those properties. The easement's stated purpose was to provide a way of passage over the properties for the public. The easement also contained an abandonment clause. The clause provided that the county will be deemed to have abandoned the easement if it failed to use the property for a continuous period of two years, or if the county had attempted to use it for a purpose not specified therein. So I think you can kind of guess where this story is going. <laughs> in 2017, the county had enacted an ordinance purporting to establish the public's right to use the dry sand area of all of the beaches for recreational purposes, even the portions that were owned by private entities. So the ordinance listed sunbathing, picnicking, swimming, building sand creations, you know, all the things you think about when you go to the beach, right? And I thought actually one of my favorite parts was where they said, sitting on the sand or in a beach chair or on a beach towel or on a beach blanket. So I thought I it was funny how mentioned they- an umbrella in there. Yeah, you could have an umbrella, but I, I liked how they listed the things you can be sitting on. So I don't know if I show up and I forget my beach towel. <laughs> And I put my sweatshirt down and sit on that. I don't know if that's allowed or not because it wasn't listed, but I thought that was inter interesting how they went through the effort of listing. These are the things you can sit on on the beach. <laughs> so the plaintiffs here, a flock of seagirls and Valentine's Heights LLC had owned two beachfront lots that were each contained the easement. They ended up suing the county, alleging that not only did the ordinance trigger the easement's abandonment clause, but they alleged that it constituted an unconstitutional taking of their property. 
And what did the district court decide? So the district court actually granted summary judgment in favor of the county. The court acknowledged that the county had attempted to use the easement for an expanded purpose, but they found that the uses were consistent with the purpose of the easement. Ultimately, the court found that the plaintiffs had failed to prove the requisite element of intent to abandon the easement. And not surprisingly, the plaintiffs here appealed. And so did the 11th Circuit agree with the district court or not? The 11th Circuit actually reversed the district court's decision. The court found that the easement's plain language had provided that the county will be deemed to abandon the easement if it attempted to use the property for a purpose not stated in the easement. The court also found that a way of passage refers to a locomotive purpose and not recreational purpose. Therefore, it constituted an attempt to use the easement for a purpose not stated therein, and it constituted an abandonment. And I did think it was interesting that the court said, quote, we recognize, of course, that under Florida law, an easement carries with it by implication the right to do what is reasonably necessary for the full enjoyment of the easement, end quote. And I, and I won't go into the, you know, what they were citing there. Yeah. But then this is the part that I thought was interesting, because apparently I'm obsessed with what I can do on this, whether I can sit on my beach chair versus something else. <laughs> exactly. So they said, as a practical matter, pedestrian use of the easement may well entail incidental stopping. And it says some of the uses set forth in the ordinance, like sitting on the sand, fall into this category, but you can't build sand castles. So I just thought that was funny how the 11th Circuit said, okay, I'll let you know you're allowed to sit down. You know, if you're walking and you get tired, you're allowed to sit down on your beach chair. Well, actually, they didn't reference beach chair. They just said sitting on the sand. So the 11th Circuit said, you can stop when you're walking and sit on the sand, but do not build a sand castle. That's not allowed. <laughs> They were very specific in what you can and cannot do on the beach. <laughs> so what else? Was there anything else in this decision that we should be aware of? The county also tried to argue that Florida common law, as well as other provisions in the easement and the consent judgment I discussed earlier, actually limited the abandonment clause, but the court disagreed. There were separate provisions in the easement that used the term perpetual. I believe the consent judgment also used the phrase permanent. The county also tried to argue that Florida common law enshrines the public's right to use this dry sand area of beaches. The 11th Circuit said, no, that is not correct. <laughs> they found that their interpretation of the terms perpetual and permanent were flawed and that the easement was still subject to conditions that could terminate the easement. The court also found, and something tells me that Florida residents may disagree, they <laughs> said that the public's right to full use of the beaches is not absolute or boundless. The court ultimately found that the county had abandoned the easement. And I did like the language of the court's opinion where they discussed the perpetual permanent idea of having that language in documents because they were saying just because the word perpetual is in there or the word permanent is in there does not actually necessarily mean it's perpetual or permanent because there's also language in there that says it can terminate, it can be abandoned. So don't be fooled by that word permanent or perpetual because if there's language in there saying this can be abandoned or terminated, that's going to trump <laughs> that word perpetual or permanent. 
but I thought that was an interesting analysis that the court did looking at Black's Law Dictionary for those right. terms, et cetera. So I guess I think that's everything unless you've got something else to add there. With regard to the county's constitutional claim, that was actually rendered moot. The Florida legislator had actually passed a bill while the case was pending. The bill actually voided the existing ordinance and imposed a new procedure for passing such ordinances. All right. Well, with that, thank you very much. And I'm going to go pack up my suitcase and head down to a beach somewhere to get out of icy cold New Jersey. (laughs) Thank you, Bethany and Desiree. And I'm old enough to remember the flock of seagulls, although I do text, (laughs) I do blog. (laughs) This seems to be the episode of Millennials, Mike. (laughs) Why do you know what the flock of seagulls' biggest hit was? I know about their hair. I I don't know their biggest (laughs) hit. Their biggest hit is Iran, so far away. I think it was back in the 80s. So, but I was impressed that both of you knew who the flock of seagulls were. Well, one of us, one of us who was born in the 80s knew who they were. The other one had to Google them, but I I won't say which one of us is which. (laughs) Thank you guys. It was great. And Lyman and Tim, thank you very much. And with that, this will conclude the eighth episode of. Title Nerds, thank you all. Thanks, everybody, and thank you, Title Nerds, for listening. Thank you for listening today to Title Nerds, presented by Riker Danzig. If you like this show, please remember to subscribe to this podcast on your preferred podcast app, and be sure to rate us five stars. You may also wish to subscribe to our blog and visit our website at riker.com. We hope you will join us again for another episode of Title Nerds.